0: Anytime I can get someone drinking a fortified wine at the bar, like I feel like we've done something successful.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. The goal of this show is to understand the inner workings and evolution of mixology, hospitality, and community. As I further my own knowledge of the field, I'm inviting you to join me. You'll hear me interview people from around the industry about their work and beliefs. If you like what you hear, the best way to keep up is to subscribe via the podcast app you use. And if you think others will like this, I invite you to share an episode or write a review. Your words help grow our audience. And you can keep up with the latest news via our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, or see what we're working on via Instagram. And please reach out. I'd enjoy hearing what you liked, learned, and what else you'd like to see me dig into. So let's get into it. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of the Decoding Cocktails podcast. And my guest today is Marshall Minaya. He is currently the beverage director of Valerie, which is a gin-centric bar uh, in Manhattan uh, with an extensive cocktail program. And they also have the largest gin library in Manhattan. Uh, Marshall got his start in the industry at the age of 19 at a bar in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And two years later, he moved to New York City, uh, seemingly chasing a career in acting, but unknowingly found his way into this industry. Industry. Early on, he worked at places like the Meatball Shop and Salvation Taco and assisted in opening the uh, espresso and cocktail bar, Da Copa. We, uh, Marshall and I, had a, a great time in this discussion and got into all sorts of things. And I was excited to talk because Valerie, being a gin centric bar, you know, I've run into people of all different tastes and preferences, people loving one thing, hating another. I feel like and you know Marshall kind of agreed with this that people tend to be more forgiving of whiskey and agave spirits as an example whereas gin if people don't like it they are really kind of um they're really hesitant to give it a second chance. So we dig into things uh like if he was going to put together a very accessible gin flight for someone we talk about what he would offer for contrast because the thing is is that uh and i will leave this to marshall right here but as he was talking about putting together a flight of things that were more juniper forward things that are more soft things that are more citrusy he also has a wonderful reply which i think probably comes up almost everywhere there's kind of this general accepted belief that gin uh smells like Christmas trees. And Marshall has a beautiful response and flavored response uh, to uh, this often uh, thing that comes up at the bar. We talk about the fact that, um, and he cites other people like uh, the bar owner, uh, Souther Teague, in this process, but that Americans for a long time have not been putting enough tonic water in their gin and tonic. Uh, If you go to Valerie, Marshall is going to be often using a one to four ratio, roughly one and a half ounces gin, six ounces of tonic. And so uh, it's high time not only we use good tonic, but that we use enough tonic to properly really open that up and let it breathe. We do also dive a little bit into this was a question I got in advance of the interview, why people should be Uh, about this idea of vodka versus gin. You know, you got your vodka tonic, you've got your vodka martini, and why he feels like you really should be looking at gin instead of vodka. Uh, As you probably heard in the little opening, as we call it, stinger, in the little opening clip of Marshall, uh, what I, about the idea of vermouth or fortified wines, that it's really time that vermouth be part of the conversation again about what's going on out there, Um, because when used well when using good vermouth it's just incredible i also found it funny to ask him about like uh, dolin d-o-l-i-n is a brand that's not hard to find but for him he had one or two suggestions but for marshall it was pretty much like look when it comes to your dry and your blanc vermouth like dolin is just they they reign supreme and so i thought that was great uh, finally, and both of these are very simple drinks. There'll be links, of course, to them in, in, the, uh, in the show notes that I, I plugged in for. Okay, you're, you're ready to dive back into gin, but you need kind of a forgiving landing spot where there are cocktails that came up. And so Marshall threw out two, the Gin Gin Mule and the Old Maid, and uh, both of them would be pretty relatively simple to throw together. But I love this idea of giving people something that this is a drink where you're not going to have that bold juniper out front right there, that this is going to be uh, something that's going to be much more uh, approachable. So uh, oh, finally, this was this was great. Uh, so things I'm taking away from the interview also, while I'm reading out there pretty often, I'm going to be picking up a copy of The Savoy, which is an older cocktail book that I have perused but not really ever given a lot of time to. He said, "You know, I love old cocktail books because uh, oftentimes the first twenty or thirty pages are all about how to throw a party." And um, uh, so, anyways, I that's something I have overlooked and looking forward to it. And uh, so, with that, my interview with uh, Marshall Manaya. So, Marshall, when you were digging in early on, um, you you mentioned like, okay, I you know I had to do this exam, and I'm looking for thirty odd recipes or whatnot online. Is there is there a a first recipe that you came across that you remember intriguing you based on the name, the build? But I, I guess I'm always interested in what's that early romance point for someone when like they get, you know, their heart rates, heart rate starts to accelerate. Right.
0: I remember, uh, like I, I remember the old fashioned because in Harrisburg, like many other kind of like smaller town bar communities, it's v- common that it's like a, a Wisconsin variation, right? So muddled cherry muddled orange, uh, big dose of sugar cube and seltzer, uh, and like, so that's what I was used to. And then finding online that it was like you use, obviously there is um, sugar cube or like at the bars now, like we use a rich Demerara just for consistency um, with like quality bourbon and bitters and that's it. And the fruit is left out. But I do remember um, the Manhattan got me cause like never been outside of small town PA. And uh, when I, finish that course, like the final was you did like an hour shift behind the bar, uh, with a bartender. And it was this like kind of um after work spot down like Harrisburg is a is like a working city, right? It's the capital of, of Pennsylvania. Most people think that's Philly or Pittsburgh, but it's Harrisburg. So like it's a lot of commuting. A lot of people come in, they work at five, they head out. Um so they w- a lot of these guys and women would come there after work, get a cocktail or two, and then get the Amtrak home to wherever. Um, and this guy, I like kind of drifted away from the bartender. And I was just kind of like looking around. And this guy was like, I'll have a Manhattan. And I was like, in my head, I was like, I know that. And then he was like, but he actually said, I'll have a Knob Creek, Manhattan. And I was like, <laughs> I have no idea what, what the hell Knob Creek is. <laughs> and he was just kind of like, helping me out. I think he knew what was going on and he was just kind of like pointing around the bar so like I remember vividly like finding that bottle of knob creek like down on like a bottom shelf uh where they had it and then like mix, stirring that cocktail up
1: so so kind of a, a very human moment of of guest leads bartender right. yeah like and that's you know obviously there are so many uh rich and at times you know unsavory moments in the industry, but yeah, it's nice to have that moment of, you know, a senior patron helps young person, you know, make him a drink.
0: Yes, exactly. And pay for it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, that's like, okay, you're putting me through the training rungs here. That's, uh, that's pretty, that's pretty great in that regard. Yeah.
0: And then the bartender quickly raveled me back in.
1: It's, um, yeah, you know, but the out on the limb moments are probably where you're, uh, where you really are um where you're learning a whole lot because you're out there without a net at that point.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So uh, where I kind of wanted to uh kind of jump in a little bit more today. So uh Valerie is this uh gin forward bar in New York City. And you know, there are so many people out there who are uh strong devotees of gin, but also a number of people who are like, oh, like I can't do it and the term I always use Marshall is like emotional hangover. They're still riding that thing from like 13 years ago or whatnot. Right. You know, I don't know how much time you spend drinking, uh, a truly like, you know, lower shelf gin, but you know, for someone that is hesitant, because I imagine you get this question from time to time, even in a, uh, uh elevated cocktail city like New York, uh, you know, if someone was going to taste rail garbage gin next to a great cocktail gin are there qualities that you would uh, explain to them that they're going to experience in terms of why they should be giving gin another pass?
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, when you're drinking like the rail quality, um, I think what you're just getting is heat, like ethanol, like you're just getting hot alcohol, um, heavy juniper, but I don't think that the juniper is like treated properly because you're getting this kind of like Christmas tree pine forward note where a lot of the gins that are heavy juniper, like your dry and dry London dries, like you're not, you don't get that same quality as you do. If it is like uh, served in a plastic liter bottle, like at your local liquor store or dive bar. Um, but I think mainly what you're getting is like heavy, untreated alcohol, (laughs) like just kind of that burn that people don't like. And then they pair it with this uh, highly sacrum sugary uh, tonic that is the ratios are way off, way too much gin, not enough tonic, little ice. And it's just not cold enough, not carbonated enough. And people just, yeah, they just have that bad moment. And they do carry that with them for, I feel like people are so much more forgiving to, agave spirits than they are to poor old gin.
1: It It is interesting Well, yeah, uh, and maybe it is like the the very herbal nature of juniper, but it does really get that. And, you know, it makes me think about a friend of mine's a rum distiller, and he talks about his, which undergoes this very long fermentation process as opposed to like hot and quick, you know, you know, when you're dealing with, I don't know, you know, a a lower grade spirit and, uh, probably also not picking out the choicest sugar cane or molasses. And so, you know, you know, when you're a lower grade, you're, you're buying essentially the leftover juniper. Um, right. Yeah. Staying with that for a minute, um, because gin and tonic is another thing that's easy that you kind of talked about. So, um, you know, I think for a lot of people, what's great about a, a GNT is that it's obviously this like very safe build overall. It's not a complex thing to put together, but sometimes I do find that people um, I, I am shocked by how they are building them in terms of ratio. So, and obviously this can vary based on taste or the, the gin you're using the tonic, but as a general rule of thumb, Marshall, is there kind of a, a general ratio you would be reaching for when making a gin and tonic?
0: Yeah, I o- we try to stick with about one and a half ounces of spirit to like six ounces of, uh, quality tonic. And those bottles are 6.8 ounces. So what we do is we serve about like five and a half to six ounces to the guests. And then we leave like a little taster there. So p- people want to, they could either dump it in if they've had it before, or if they've never had this specific tonic, they could just like get a little taste of it on its own. Um, yeah. So I'd say like, I'd say one and a half to about six ounces of mixer is proper. I read it in, um, Southern Teague's, uh, I'm just here for the drinks, like on his gin section, he just like kind of very clearly says that America has been doing gin and tonics wrong for so many years with like the rocks glass and heavy gin, pour, low tonic, pour, quinine syrup out of a gun. And, uh, I just kind of like always think about that when I'm doing my builds, like, it's so true. I definitely had them too before kind of getting more into these mixers. And we're, you know, I'm lucky in New York city that a lot of bars now are pretty going, uh, heavy into like Q or fever tree.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's fun to see those things proliferate, but I think, um, for a lot of people, there's this idea that, especially if you're, you're using a good gin that somehow you're doing it wrong. If it's, uh, if it's, uh if, if it seems like the dilution is anything but low, because like, oh, like I'm ruining it's like, no, like you're 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 letting it breathe and like and what why are you punishing yourself with this? Right. Time?
0: <laughs> yeah, no one asked you to do that.
1: <laughs> At Valerie or in your own thinking, do you have um do you have so like someone comes in, like a, a friend brought him in? And, uh, the friends, the gin fan who's there for your, and you guys obviously have cocktails beyond gin, but so they're like, they're, they're on the fence, you know, is there the slam dunk either classic perhaps, or perhaps even house cocktail that you're like, you know what, this is a great way to ease into the water right here.
0: I would say a slam dunk gin, no matter where you're at or like, yeah, I'd say a slam dunk is going to be an old maid like out of the PDT cocktail book, gin gimlet with cucumber and mint muddled in. And it's probably just one of the most refreshing cocktails you could do um, at Valerie. We always like w- one of our big kind of ethos is just I like w- when we started out, like I drink Negroni's. I drink spirit forward, stirred bitter cocktails. Um and what I drink may not be what you like. So a lot of people are just like, make me what you like. And we kind of sternly stand our ground and say, no, like teach us what you, the qualities of a cocktail and flavors that you like. And we're going to try to either grab something off our menu for you or create something that we know you're not going to, you know, shy away from. But an old maid or like a ginger mule from Audrey Saunders at uh, a Basically, a gin buck uh, with dry gin, fresh ginger syrup, uh, fresh lime, mint, topped with soda. Yeah. both killer. Can't yeah, go wrong.
1: Ex- exactly. It's um, yeah. It's it. It's the kind of drink. The gin gin mule is the kind of drink that you know allows the the gin to peek through, but doesn't have to have it kind of being forward like a martini or negroni right. in that regard. Yeah.
0: And people are very accustomed to mules and bucks at this point right and um then just kind of like throwing that juniperness into it kind of eases them into something that they're already familiar with and then just kind of opens up their palate a little bit more and obviously if you're using fresh ginger on the bar it completely changes their perception of like what ginger beer is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah
1: you mentioned earlier, and I, this was a prepared question of mine, so I'm glad you went there. Um, so, you know, I, I, while I know many smitten gin drinkers, it does feel like agave and certainly whiskey are having so much more of a moment, and people are like, man, this stuff is great, or, I, you know, and that again, gin has its devotees, but is less zealous. So, when you think about brands that you love, like the, the process behind creating them, why should people be giving gin another look at this point?
0: Uh, I think because of the amount of effort going into the botanicals and the builds now, I think I think for a while, like when we were talking about lower quality gins was, um, obviously like bonded rice and bourbons, you need to age, right? You're going to need like minimum age two years on them before you can get them out of the barrel, bottle them and sell them. And so in the meantime, it's quickest to produce a gin, bottle it, get your brand out there and just kind of like get started. Right. So people know your distillery. Uh, and then at that point, when you're in the room, you can say, Hey, we're working on all these whiskeys. And in two, three, four, five five years, we're going to have some great quality bourbons for you. And we'll be able to um, get on your shelves then. Um, but now I think there's w- with like everyone's increased knowledge uh, and like the average consumer's increased knowledge and uh, everyone wants to like drink quality over just kind of like not. And um, I think the distillers are kind of like back in the fold and knowing that if this is a product that you could get out there quicker, you might as well. And it's not going to have your name on it. You might as well be distilling a high quality uh, like thought out botanical build for um your consumers and i think now just like everyone's kind of going into that citrusy phase um which gins are leaving very leaning very heavy into now like that's going to be better for the average consumer i think because it although i would never want to make this comparison i'll make this comparison uh, like a heavy citrusy gin is going to be palatable to someone that is coming into a bar asking for like a flavored vodka of some kind, you know what I mean? Cause it's like, well, no, but we do have these like very citrus forward gins and we can create something with that for you. That will kind of hit that note.
1: Yeah. Is that, you know, cause I think about um, you know, Hendrix at times seems to at least have more this, this brand of, you know, uh, the, we're the, uh, we the not Juniper forward. And and I don't even remember, I feel like it has to be in the build, but like, uh but yeah, so like, finding those, yeah, <laughs> finding those things that kind of serve as the gateway, like, you know, handing somebody bee feeder who is not used to gin, that's like, that is all Juniper right there. And so, um so potentially like more training wheels perhaps right there.
0: Yeah. And Hendrix too is like a good, start right because uh people consumers are so brand loyal like to a a fault um and that's something that we kind of struggle with at the bar and we consider ourselves like an educational program so we are always trying to get you in to try something that you've never had before um and it's just always a great conversation piece um like cucumber or uh Hendrix is still with Cucumber and rose petals, right? And like we said, like very little juniper. And um, someone someone asks for like a dirty martini, and they ask for a Hendrix dirty martini. Like our first response is, um, like, could we offer you something different because we have a couple of gins distilled with olives or a London dry or something like that that might hold up better against brine um, than a like floral, cucumbery, melanie gin.
1: I like that. So to make sure, because like I'm always trying to get behind the alchemy and the balance from people like you. So the issue potentially with a Hendrix Dirty Martini. So we got our, you know, probably some build of our dry vermouth in there along with the olive brine. But the issue is, is that part of what makes Hendrix more palatable is that slightly less juniper note. But the issue is, if we're going to use it, that probably the brine is just going to run right over the top of it and. Hey, if you love olive juice, great. But otherwise, you're gonna right. you're, paying a, you're paying a lot of money to to drink fortified uh, olive uh, olive brine at that point. Exactly. Hmm. Okay, that's helpful. That's helpful.
0: And that just again comes to like people's brand loyalty. Not to like poo poo any other brands, but they're just they've they've kind of like hopped on the bandwagon, and everywhere they go, chances are chances are everywhere you go, your bar is going to have Tito's. Chances are everywhere you go, your bar is going to have Hendrix. And, uh, you know, most will lean into Casamigos. But if we stray away from that, and we want to offer you uh, maybe a, like a, an agave spirit without additives, uh, or a higher quality gin that has some different botanicals to it, um, then that's like, the start of a conversation that and we can try to get you kind of like off the bandwagon and maybe into a like smaller produced uh, spirit mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. so I've seen that you know Valerie certainly works hard to stock a pretty um, diverse gin library and I like that you did it by um, you know kind of like you know uh, continent or a rough global region I, I I'm, yeah. yeah my brain is failing me now but um, so if someone in because it might not vary by, broader geographic region but uh one of my favorite bars here in st louis they are big on the you should be they'll offer flights of like you know unaged agave spirits right now to like show us like this idea that like oh it doesn't have to be brown in order to be like you know sip you know like you know in order to be sip worthy and so i guess i'm curious if someone was going to come into valerie and hey they've They're on vacation, so they've got that vacation budget right there. Doesn't mean they have to spend it all at one time. But if someone wanted to taste two or three gins that kind of really offered some contrast, uh, are there a couple that you would recommend? Because I often think about that for the beginner or even intermediate drinker, they need that broad contrast. You know, two slightly different juniper profile gins, like they might not pick up on it. But, um, but if you were going to offer that, what comes to mind for you?
0: I'd say I would, because there is so many spectrums, right. And, uh, we have 51 gins at the bar now. And, uh, I would say like, if I had to pull a flight together, um, I would probably start someone with, uh, probably with like a Plymouth, uh, it's like a very traditional build, Juniper is there, but it's, it's not overwhelming. Right. Um, so it's kind of like a nice, even keeled, uh, historical gin that that'd be a good starter. Um, you did mention beef eater, uh, now that they kind of in the States, they bumped it down from 47 to 43, 44, I believe. Um, so it's not quite as hot. Um, so if you're going to try London dry, uh, I think beef eater would be in the lineup, um, or Ford's gin is our go-to for any London dry pole. Um, and this very clean, like seven botanical build in there is a, uh, is a great start. Um, I would go citrusy with uh Centauri Roku uh, as a Japanese gin. Also a great uh, like price point for consumers. If they go to their liquor store and grab that bottle, um, but featuring six Japanese uh, citrus botanicals like Yuzu um i think that leans pretty heavy into there and i'd say for like an extra taster what i would do is um we have the saint george terroir gin from san francisco uh, and they soak that uh, in Douglas fir for, for 5 days before they distill it and that is like that is our number one go to when people say I don't, I don't like gin i don't it tastes like a christmas tree uh, i immediately grab that bottle and i say no, no, no. Gin doesn't. This gin does though. And I'll give them either like a smell or a taste of that. And then it's just a complete palate bomb. And we use that gin specifically for more herbaceous cocktails. Um, but it, I love to use it as like a, this is a very well-produced gin, but it's, it's a uh, niche, right? Like this is for your pine forward, uh, juniper lovers. This gin is right for you
1: i i, I think it's, it's awesome that uh you're like oh you think that smells like christmas trees no <laughs> this smells like christmas trees
0: <laughs> yes because <laughs> um, let's let's get that out of the way first not all gin not all of these ones but this okay. one yes for sure
1: hmm. uh, i had this question come in so when we um were kind of setting this up i put it out to people like um, and this obviously will come up and they're, they're closely related, but um, when I said I was going to be interviewing you, somebody asked, uh, why gin and not vodka? So, uh, you know, that's a, a baseline question right there, but, you know, um, so, you know, uh, gin and tonic versus vodka tonic, gin martini versus vodka martini, whatever example or however you want to paint that, but I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, I think um, vodka by its uh makeup and tradition and uh the like to make a to be a great quality vodka you need to therefore be flavorless and odorless so when you're mixing with it um it doesn't it doesn't offer me as the bartender anything it's just kind of it's uh something that would provide uh the volume to a drink and give you that ethyl taste, but it's not gonna be part of the party. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to bring anything to the show. So that's kind of why it's always gin over, over vodka. Uh, we, we have a few vodkas at the bar specifically for those consumers. And obviously we make a ton of vodka martinis and a ton of cosmopolitans and, um, we do have other, we have fresh juices and shrubs and cordials and, uh, syrups on the bar, uh, as well as, uh, a few liqueurs that we can make vodka cocktails with. But for the most part, gin is going to provide something to the cocktail, especially a martini.
1: Yeah. I, um, uh, there's a New York chef, uh, Dan Barber, uh, Blue Hill and, uh, in his book, third plate, you know, he says of food, he's like, you know for a long time in agriculture that um yield was the driver how much corn did you grow as opposed to flavor how does that corn taste and yeah i mean to each their own but like you know i think part of the adage other than at times i think it was like you know other spirits are just better than quote unquote uh i think this idea that like oh yeah like we if you're gonna pour something into this glass why doesn't it how about it brings some some character to the party as opposed to just fire yeah,
0: yeah. right mm-hmm. I, I think too is uh like last year I watched an interview with Jimmy Kimmel he said he was like reading a book on tomatoes and on the list of qualities of tomatoes that uh, the distributors look for like on a list of 10 like I think flavor was like number 10 on that list and it's just kind of like what we want is a pretty bottle of Pretty spirit, like a clear spirit, and and it's just gonna jump off the shelf at us. But like the flavor of it or the taste of it, uh, whether it has one or not, doesn't really matter to some of the um, like vodka drinkers.
1: And I think too that you know to your point about what you do at Valerie and how I think about my work, it's you know this educational opportunity. The importance of that is. The person has a story about that bottle of Hendrix, right? They, they it, it's comfortable. They feel good ordering it, but like you give them a bottle, and maybe it's even more understated. Uh, Leatherby's not all that sexy to look at, but like you give someone a story about why this gin in this cocktail or on its own, and now they can kind of stand in for that as opposed to it's safe or I look cool, you know, you know, walking into a party with it,
0: right. And I think too, I, I speak to, obviously I speak to like a lot of reps and um, and when I'm talking to them, I kind of like try to jump to the point, um, especially if you're like a broad rep, I have this huge portfolio. I try to be like, send me in the person that's specific to this spirit because I want to learn the story of it, not just, hey, it's, it's good and I want you to carry it and then my portfolio grows. Um, I remember the, uh, Glendalough is a Irish gin. And at first, uh, kind of like a broader representative came in, which is kind of like, Hey, we got this into our portfolio. You should have this. And I was like, "Mm, I'm good. Like there's so many Irish gins coming out now. And I was just kind of like, I'm all right. And then someone from Glendalough came in and spoke to me and told me the story, you know, 28 botanicals hand forged by the master distiller, um, she'll hand forge those botanicals and then distill them that day. And then they'll do a blending process when they're going to like bottle the gin. So that way they keep consistency, um, as well as they make uh, a rose gin, uh, and the other distiller, his mother had a rose garden always, and he made this gin for her. So it's a, a blend of three different macerated rose petals, like throughout various stages of the, of the distillation process and um like those stories i could get you to drink that gin just by telling you a little bit of a background about it rather than just kind of like you should have this it's a cool bottle or like it's a, you know you know the name or anything like that like i'd rather get to the backbone of it
1: yep 100 percent. i love it i love it um on the cocktail front you know we are you know well if you're in New York city, we're, we're, we're 30 years into, uh, a, a supposed cocktail, you know, rebirth, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, you know, maybe right. if you're in the, in the Midwest coast where I'm from, maybe, maybe we're 20 we're, we're something years into it, but, you know, with so much going on, are there, what are you, what's keeping you excited right now? Are there things that Valerie as a whole, or I, I hear we have a new project, Madam George. Um, but, are there things that you are looking at right now that help keep people interested in the program or are people just instinctively like, what do you got? What's new? How, how, how are you building a program these days?
0: Um, well, I think uh, from the base, uh, like in the menu design, uh, we, we do, uh, now we do biannual menus. So every six months we have a whole new menu. I um, don't know if I like to, Just cause more pain for myself, but I don't like keeping cocktails on. Um, there's a few that I've been on for uh, a couple menu runs now, but for the most part, 90% of the menu is brand new every change. Um, so that's a good way to keep the bar team interested. Um, it's a good way to keep our customers interested because even though they say they'll come in and say, I had this cocktail, I want this. And we may not be producing that, uh, Modifying ingredient anymore, we could kind of steer them in a different direction and get them interested in something on the current menu. Um, But I think too, like I can never, in my imagination, ever taste every fruit, vegetable, um, every liqueur, every spirit that's out there. So I'm always interested because I'm always learning. And uh, it's the first thing I tell my bartenders when I hire them I do not know everything. I will, if I don't know an answer, I promise you, I will find it, but I do enjoy reading cocktail books for fun. Um, so there's always a spec or a recipe or something like that, that you'll come across with an ingredient that you've never played with before. And then it just, for me, just triggers something where I just start hitting it. My wife would be the first to tell you if we're like out to dinner and there's like a note in a cocktail or food, I'm like gone. And I'm just kind of like. Let me, let me get this into a drink in my head and then we'll, we'll work on it for a menu and I'll write a little note and then get back up, snap back into reality.
1: It's, uh, (laughs) I certainly know that moment when like, you know, the, the, you know, the antenna go off in your head and you're like, yeah, you're, you're on the the thought spiral there. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. So like part of it is just a, 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 fairly regular rotation on your part of the menu, uh, and having fun with the guests and I'm sure just challenging yourself.
0: Yeah. And, and always challenging the bartenders too. uh, you know, uh, I, I offer when we do the menu builds, I'll, I'll assign a spirit and style of drink to each bartender. Um, say like, I would say, Chris, you're going to have a gin swizzle and you, you know, whatever you want to do with those two words you can do with, and then you're going to present them to me. Uh, and then we're going to work together. We're going to iron out that build, uh, maybe create, uh, like on this menu, we, we created two liqueurs in house, um, just so we could get that flavor in there while maintaining its quality. Um, yeah. And then I think that keeps the bartenders interested. They're always ready for a new challenge. Um, we'll do like a, we did like a martini competition a few months ago, uh, Negroni week we don't do just like one Negroni we have uh, we do a full menu change so each bartender creates their own Negroni riff uh, again we workshop it it's all about balance so uh, nothing would go live until it's properly balanced cocktail but yeah so for Negroni week we have like a, a full menu switch and it just keeps everyone interested and then I'll like have an incentive at the end, like top seller gets put on the menu, something like that at the end of the week. And then it's just more incentive for them to get out there and sell their cocktail.
1: So two things we're going to get to since we just finished Negroni week, we'll talk, or or since we just mentioned it, we'll. but I want to go back to martinis in a minute too. Yeah. So I feel like Negroni, um, a la Campari can be another one of those triggering things right there. You know, I mean, if if there is something more, um, more cilantro-esque in the, uh, in the cocktail world than gin, it is probably Campari. Um, so for people, when they hear that term, you know, many people perk up or some are like, oh, I don't know. But for people um, you know, either looking to go deeper or perhaps, you know, this could be a, a joint or make as many recommendations as you want. But for someone who's like, I tried that Negroni stuff, it's not it's not for me. I don't know how much of that in your mind is the raw ingredients that's going in, but are there more welcoming approaches or unique approaches to the Negroni you recommend for um someone to 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 give a look at?
0: I think first I would definitely try to see what it was about that build that they did not like. Um if it's like If it is Campari and it's a very specific bitter, um, that's definitely something that we could stray away from. Um, We have Bruto Americano on the bar from St. George. um, And uh, that is a red bitter like Campari, um, but it has a lot more warming spice notes to it. Some some, like nice, like kind of nutty and cinnamon notes come out of there. Um, Aperol of course is going to be more like bright orange and grapefruit and kind of like citrus zest on it. Um, and I'm a huge fan of what one would call like a macro cocktail. So I, I think split splitting your bitter, even, uh, it goes the distance. So if they don't like Campari, maybe we could try splitting that Bruto and Aperol, um, get the Beefy red bitter from the Bruto Americano with those warming spice notes and cut it with some Aperol. It's going to be a little less bitter, or a little more uh, like brighter. Um, and then we could do a nice like uh, vermouth rotin or Dolin or um, Cokie, like we talked about earlier and kind of keep with that traditional one, one, one build. Um, I'm also a massive fan of white Negronis. Uh, Sue's is like my, if I had to pick something off a back bar and just drink it, it would be Sue's. Um, but even then that's kind of abrasive, right? Like Suze is like a very gentian forward, herbaceous, uh, deep yellow kind of terrifying (laughs) spirit, like, like Campari is. Um, so a great, like white Negroni variation, um, would change up your ratios a little bit. Um, it would be like one and a half ounces of gin with a, a half ounce of Blanc vermouth, a uh, half ounce of sailors, a pair of teeth and a half ounce of like a Blanc Kina Kina, uh, which is a fortified wine, but it's going to have those like nice little bitter notes to it. So I mean, I feel like we could riff martinis for days or Negroni's for days, but I, I feel like there's definitely ways to play.
1: Yeah. And I, I definitely don't want to get so far into the weeds there. Cause you're right. The, the number of Negroni riffs and whatever, but um, I also just, I wanted to say, I appreciated you offering up like the, the split build of the bitter because I do feel like that is another way to s- switch it up. Uh, a good friend of mine. Yeah. When I've kind of made her more of an, uh, Aperol dominating, uh, Negroni, uh, she's leaned much more into it in that regard. And so thinking about potentially even using two bitters, uh, that's pretty, um, pretty fascinating in that regard. So I will say as a quick side note, uh, uh, Coming in September. We'll see if I come sooner, but uh, I need to be on the Marshall. Make me like Sue's train because I am. I'm pretty open when it comes to most things, but that Genshin bite off the Sue's. It it, it
0: that's I my, I got my you, Chris. I think we can definitely make something happen. The only cocktail that ever made it to the Valerie menu that was just a, I don't want to say a flop, but just it was for me and not for anyone else was a a Sue's flip. And I called it bitter Susie flips her hair. And it was a whole egg with some rich damn a full one and a half ounce pour of Suze and a little bit of uh, sherry vermouth. And it just for me, it was like the greatest thing ever. And I just knew, like even reading on the menu, A, no one knows what any of those ingredients are and B, just it's not it was just for me. But I think we'll definitely get you on that Suze train.
1: Maybe it's like the uh, the bottom of the Valerie menu. You need like the the, the buy a drink for the staff uh, portion. Is, <laughs> that's the, that's the, the the Susie flip right there. Um, going to the martini. Uh, it is likely still the most iconic cocktail, even though obviously you know you have many cocktails. You know, margarita, old fashioned, Negroni, outselling it. I, I as far as I know, like significantly. But I feel like it is one of those those drinks that people have been exposed to probably for the lay person out there, probably not well-made. So when it comes to kind of edging in there, because it is also, as I would believe, one of the most often customized or called drinks, unless they're ordering a specific one you have on there. So for someone looking to get into the martini world, Are there there ways you'd suggest that they dig in? So I'm sure you have a lot of... So I'd be interested to hear whatever opinions you have on for people who should give martinis more of a a try.
0: Well, I think first and foremost, I would uh, petition for uh, Vermouth to be back into the conversation. Uh, Anytime I can get someone drinking a fortified wine at the bar, like I feel like we've done something successful. Um, We have like our martinis build, uh, martini builds at, uh, at, at Valerie. Um, I think it is the most, like someone will just kind of like, I want a Hendrix martini, uh, dry or no vermouth, um, and, and so on and so on. Cause it's the same way that they're going to order it everywhere. Um, but I think when it comes down to, if I could start for a martini it all, it's all about texture, right. And it's, all cocktails are about texture, but well, you had probably before at uh, a bar uh, in your hometown or something like that, right? Like you you walked in and you said, I want to try a martini. Uh, they probably gave you a wild ratio that uh, may not have been, uh, the vermouth May was probably not refrigerated, could have been opened a year ago, could have, it was probably skunked. Um, and probably like we talked about earlier, like a gin that might not have been, top quality. Uh, and it was most likely shake it. Uh, and again, talking about texture, when we're building a drink, uh, the reason why we, um, the reason why we shake or stir or swizzle or whatever is all about aeration and texture. So when you're shaking a cocktail, you're putting those ingredients together. And, uh, as you're shaking it, the ice is breaking down. You're going to dilute the drink, but you're putting, you're packing in all these bubbles, into the cocktail. when that hits your tongue, it's going to dance. Those little bubbles are going to hit differently. When you stir a drink, you're diluting the cocktail, incorporating the ingredients the way that you want to. Um, but you're aerating it. Not at all is the goal, right? That's why when you're pouring it out too, you kind of want to hold it close to the glass. So that way you're keeping with that nice velvety, uh, viscous, kind of texture that you're going to get out of your martini and a fortified wine, like a vermouth is going to help kind of keep that velvety texture in there as well as the herbs and citrus and um, your vermouth is just going to help beef up that gin flavor. Um, But then it just all comes down to ratios and preference. Like I, I like to drink a 50, 50 martini. So half vermouth, half gin, um, I, and then otherwise I would kind of lean more into a two to one ratio at the bar. We do, uh, if you would just come in and say, I'll have a beef eater martini, we're going to do two and a half gin to half dry vermouth. And that's specifically locale. Like we are 45th street between fifth and sixth, and we want everyone to enjoy their cocktails. And we know if we were sending out two to one martinis every time, chances are some of those would be coming back our way. Um, so this is kind of a more palatable kind of, uh, consistent martini that people are going to enjoy.
1: Got it. Yeah. Uh, one that they're accustomed to, but I did appreciate you, yeah. you calling out the one-to-one because yeah, I am definitely someone who, um, is, yeah, I, I don't like that necessarily abrasive, uh, you know, uh, biting nature of the gin because I, I saw on, And hey, it's all to each their own, but I saw um, in Punch Magazine, they had their kind of like, you know, their ongoing in search of the ultimate, and when I was looking at the martini, it was, you know, you know, Dale DeGroff, and so, you know, I think he wins probably every competition he's in, But, uh, but anyways, but you know, his, and it was like an amber vermouth, but it was, it was seven to one, and I was just like, oh my god, like that is, that is biting is i just i was blown. it was was three and a half to a half i have it written down right right so
0: that's yeah that's a bit too much gin for for my liking i also am in the uh the camp of like i i want to enjoy my cocktail and i want to then try another one so the camp of like kind of i'm going to drink a martini because like like everyone that orders a martini says uh, one isn't enough. What is it? One isn't enough. Two is just right. Three is too many, something like that. Um, and, but if you're drinking a 50, 50, or you're drinking kind of like, or, you know, reverse martini or something like that, then you can have three and still keep going or try something different, or, uh, you're not going to be punch drunk on one, but I think that's maybe the point of your bone dry, kind of just like cold vodka, cold gin martinis.
1: Yeah, yeah. Could could be fun, uh, a fair point. Um good. Yeah, that's that's helpful. Um on the vermouth thing for a second. Yeah, I uh, I feel like one of my dying wishes in this world is that at the Average Liquor Store, you know, assuming they even have vermouth called out, it'll say vermouth. By the way, it's wine. You know, just like I mean it <laughs> is it I didn't know it for many years and it's staggering to me that no one knows it in every single class that I teach, you know, someone's always like, "Oh, well, I guess that Like I I'm the person who's had that bottle on my shelf for three years. I'm like, yeah, what, like, why can't we have better messaging around this?
0: Right. It's just as simple. I I guess like the conversation vermouth has never really had. Right. And that's one of the first things I always say when we're behind the bar, kind of learning our, our well layouts and stuff like that. Vermouth is kept either on ice or in the fridge, no matter what. And there's never a speed pourer ever put into it because it's going to oxidize at that point so caps always on and put away when you're done
1: mm. it's helpful i might sometimes start with speed pour on so okay good good <laughs> lessons for chris speaking of vermouth um you know we talked a little bit about sweet vermouth a la kind of uh Cokie and carpano kind of are some of the well-known sweeter ones but i feel like when once you move into blanc and dry. I feel like Dolan is just the name that gets dropped all the time. Are there for someone who, you know, cause again, another great way, uh, you know, rather than switch up your martini by switching your gin, which you can totally do. You could certainly also switch up your vermouth. Are there a couple of other, uh, not too difficult to find vermouths out there that you think people should give a look
0: at? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I would say when it comes to Blanc, Dolan is um, about peak for me, for me, at least. I think the body that it provides um, just pairs so well with a citrus forward gin. Um, Dry, we use uh, Vermouth Rotin, uh, which is uh, very similar. I think they use the same grapes uh, uh, or they get their grapes from the same region as Dolan does. So a very similar build. Um, uh, and then you could always go into the Lolle Blanc or Coquio Americano realm. Um, they're going to provide a little more body, a little more herbaceousness. Um, but I, I think those in a Martini or a Negroni as well, uh, go a long way. Okay. okay. I also am a big fan of, uh, throwing sherry in if we're talking about fortified wines. Um, so a Fino sherry might be a bit dry for the average person if you're going to go like all in in a two to one ratio or something like that. But you could cut it with your Blanc or your Dry, and it would provide that kind of like fuller bodied but dry quality to it. Um, or if you're doing a Negroni, like a, an Agroni, like an uh, or a Manzanilla might be nice. Um, but definitely sherry should be in the mix for sure.
1: Good. Um- Speaking of that, I don't want this to be all a brand thing, but just like giving people actionable things too. So like, I mean, you know, Tio Pepe is one that's not too hard to find, but in the Fino world, is there another brand or two that as often you feel like easy to find that you, you love?
0: Uh, Lustau is definitely my favorite. Yeah. Especially for an Amontillado. A hundred percent Lustau. Yeah.
1: Side note to my, uh, distributor of Lustau, um, you're out and I'm very sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk for a minute about Madam George too. Um, and I have a couple other kind of, uh, you know, kind of a little bit more rapid fire ish questions, but certainly as yeah. we kind of pointed that if there's other things we haven't come up, you know, let me know. But, um, so I know you guys have a new concept you're working on. So tell us about Madam George a little bit.
0: Uh, Yeah. Madam George is going to be in our basement um, of Valerie. Uh, It's going to be, I guess it would be categorized as a speakeasy by nature that um, it's going to be kind of like a side entrance. You got to go down a hallway, down a set of stairs or an elevator. um, And then we're going to open up to the bar. Uh, But it is also 140 seats uh, plus like 12 at the bar. Uh, So it's going to be, it's, it's big. Um, but what we were doing before, um, lockdown, at uh, the end of 2019 is Valerie. Um, and you'll see when you come through, but, uh, our busiest days are Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, we are rocked. The bar is, uh, usually four deep for like four hours or so we have, uh, four wells going, four bartenders behind the main well. And we have a bar upstairs that has a bartender and sometimes two behind it. Um, And we, our menu and our consistency and our quality and our desires never change. um, But sometimes heavier builds get really kind of get bogged down. So we do some uh, minor batching. We have a couple tap cocktails um, and we kind of try to make it as efficient a bar as possible to get out. So what we were doing before lockdown is the blushing bar, our mezzanine bar upstairs, I ran a completely separate menu at. So it was like a 28 dirty cocktail list that wasn't available at the bar downstairs. Um, We were producing different shrubs and cordials, et cetera, um, for this menu. And it was seated only. And it was just kind of like a way for me, for me to get out of the, the, Four deep at the bar, uh, a way to kind of talk more about cocktails, uh, to get people really into the conversation, um, and it and it was going great. But then in that at that point, then we started kind of started the conversation with our landlords. There is a space downstairs, so we kind of broached that subject. And then lockdown happened. We were closed for thirteen months, and we just kind of continued the conversation. Like we weren't going anywhere. Um, and our landlords, you know, Knockwood, they were they were great, worked worked with us a hundred percent of the way to make sure that we were uh able to come back and reopen. And and then they wanted us to take the space downstairs. We wanted to take the space downstairs. So uh we started building like right when we reopened Valerie in April, basically. Um, but yeah, the, the so the concept is kind of like we can have more time, more opportunity uh with us being able to control the door a little better that we can get deeper into it um and kind of be a little bit more of the show stopping cocktail bar that we want to be um so we're going to do an annual menu uh in Madame george and the first theme of our annual menu is going to be uh new york inspired new york city inspired um which um stoked about and i'm gonna have a little more time i kind of got into i read liquid intelligence cover to cover so a little more into that method of madness um yeah so we're we're, we're stoked about that and uh like a section on the menu we're going to be reworking uh reworking cocktails i don't love uh kind of like 80s 90s era cocktails that are consistently ordered because of the, the color of them and the high fructose quality of them. So we're going to bring them back to basics and build them in a technical and proper method. Um, so like we did, uh, I did a, a reworked Midori fizz, um, hold the Midori. Uh, so I made a melon liqueur from a blend of honeydew and cantaloupe. Uh, that's going to be a vodka base in that liqueur. Uh, and then we're going to pair it with, uh, Singani is, a like a white brandy, um, uh, with some fresh cucumber and bitter melon bitters. Uh, and that like Midori was launched at, for the premiere of Saturday Night Fever at Studio 54 in New York city. So it's very tied into that. And we're just holding the Midori, holding the sour mix, but will definitely be reminiscent.
1: I, it, I, I certainly love that, you know, part of my vibe is always, you know, again, how do I show things in an accessible way for the person at home? So, you know, making their own le- melon liqueur is probably not it. But like, what I love is, is where you're going with the world is, um, you know, whether or not he was the first one to do it, you know, Jeffrey Morgenthaler are getting credit for like, you know, the Amaretto sour and like showing people like, yeah, like, Drinks, like, you know, you know, it's like drinks that don't suck, right? Or that don't have to suck. And they don't have to. Yeah. And you understand principles of balance. And of course, like, again, get rid of your sweet and sour. But like, what is that at the end of the day? Oh, it's citrus and sugar. And this, oh, but the proofing's not high enough. We're going to fortify it with some whiskey. And like, we're on our way. And yeah, it's, it's fun to be able to show people things that they probably have maybe some glowing memories about, but maybe the following day wasn't so good because of, uh, the sugar content
0: exactly and then also like we it's it is all cocktail building is such like an an inspired by right so like we said like yeah maybe jeffrey morgenthaler didn't make the amaretto sour but if you also look up the cosmopolitan recipe there's i think like six people attached to it um, that all simultaneously made this drink on the same day in different parts of the country and just like this is what it is but Either way, we all know the drink and, uh, it is like, we're just learning from one another, uh, which I think is such a big part of the cocktail world. And I wish it was done kind of more openly.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, like the Cosmo being a great example of whether or not it was invented in New York, it's very iconically in New York. And I guess many things are, but yeah, it's like, if, if it was a thing that had its moment in the sun in the city, you know? hell, you do what you want with your menu, but I think that's great. So yeah. And I I love the idea too, that four deep at the bar is great energy and probably fun room to be in, but it's probably not the kind of place where you're having an educated conversation about fortified wines at that point. Right. Yeah. We're just enduring.
0: Yes. At that that point, during those kind of like four to nine hours, you are current, you are certainly enduring. And then before and after that, you're back to conversations like you'll find me on the bar at valerie every saturday uh no happy hour and i'll be at the point of the bar for a very long shift but it's just that's like my favorite day to be there and just kind of tons of people traveling in they have no idea what they're walking into but i'll be the first to teach them guide them through it
1: one of the thing we didn't uh cover and then just a couple of wrap-up questions um for someone taking kind of a, uh, you know, they're they're looking at Schweppes versus they're looking at Fever Tree, because I know also there's a lot of house made tonics at Valerie too. So talk to us. I mean, obviously, you know, Fever Tree made the discussion of like, hey, it's sixty to seventy percent of your drink. It's probably important. Right. But talk to us about Schweppes versus, you know, Fever Tree or something you're making in house in terms of why they should be expanding their mind to this.
0: Yeah. So I think, um, I think Schweppes is funny because without Schweppes, we wouldn't have bottled tonics, right? They're the ones that made these fortified glass bottles that could handle carbonation. And then we were able to distribute and, um, and then tonic became like, obviously, you know, quinine was a remedy for malaria. Um, and then it slowly became kind of like that, uh, drinking, like you, you are just like a casual, soda, right? tonic. Um, but it's just kind of high fructose corn syrup and the sugar is there and you you can taste the residual sugar on your palate after you're an hour after you've had it. Um so I think it's the same as what we were talking about like the gin. Why would you mix um you know, why would you be mixing with this kind of like low quality spirit uh and the same with the mixers. We want to be mixing with high quality uh, we know where, like Fever Tree, for for example, will show you exactly where on their like little guide map where all their botanicals come from around the world, um, and they blend them together and create this great mixing tonic, um, and yeah. So I think I think that's a big part of it, but it's really each one has a different specificity. Like Q, made in Brooklyn, their spectacular tonic is the. First one that was uh, carbonated higher pounds per square inch than other tonics, so it's going to have a little bit more of that carbonation to it, um, and a little less of that kind of like botanical forward um, quality in it. So when you're tasting a new gin that you've never had before, I always recommend Q um, because it's going to help open up the botanicals in the gin, um, as well as not be not trying to be the the show, not try to steal the show, um, but there's there's some really great ones out there. We actually don't make a in-house tonic uh, at Valerie, just because there are like we produce everything else in-house. Um, uh, juices are done every single day. We make every syrup, shrub, cordial, liqueur. We make bitters in-house. Uh, all of our infusions, um, but the tonics we kind of just left to the professionals. We do uh, we use. Uh, a small batch one called red penguin as like our house tonic um uh team works for ford's gin for probably the last like 10 years or so and um, when i first met him uh he was introducing me to sodas like mixers that he was making called red penguin and it's a thistle tonic they have like a cola and a ginger beer as well uh but they he doesn't really want to get into the um kind of like mass canning, mass bottling, creating more waste. So it just goes right onto our soda guns. Uh, We're able to make sure that the carbonation is correct that way, uh, and we can get big quality and uh, adjust the ratios as needed. But um, So that's kind of like our house pour. We we don't really do quinine syrup at the bar.
1: You know, when I was looking at the menu preparing, I saw tonics called out, and I must have uh, misunderstood. So all all, all good. And yes, n- no, no all reason, good. at some point at the end of the day, you, uh, you probably need to, uh, yeah, some things are best left up to the professionals for sure. Uh, you mentioned, uh, as we kind of wrap up here, you mentioned, uh, you know, you're kind of always reading a little bit here. So, uh, I don't know, I'm sure there's a million, but for someone out there, like looking for a cocktail book or two to pick up, what, uh, what, what comes to mind?
0: I feel like I usually recommend um, to my like bartenders at start, I always recommend um, Jim Meehan's bartender's manual is excellent. Um, I think the way that he breaks down service is done really well in that cocktail book. Um, like example, if you get a ticket of like eight cocktails on it, he breaks down. If you were behind the PDT bar, this is how you would break it down with somebody. Or if you had to do it all by yourself. Um, I also think that, uh, just like a sidebar, the traditional cocktail books, uh, you know, uh, like the Savoy and the Jerry Thomases and Harry Craddock's, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they were all, like how to mix drinks at home or to more importantly, how to throw a party, right? Like if you read the the first kind of 20 pages of those books, every time is very similar of how to throw a party, how to engage people at your home, how to make punches and things like that, the offering, the portion sizes, vessels, things like that. So I love reading those books because uh, of the history of them. And you can see, where this cocktail that we make today really started. Right. And I think those are great, but I think to start Jimmy hands, bartenders manual, I think uh, the uh, Petrosky book um, regarding cocktails is an excellent source uh, started by Sasha finished by Georgette. Um, I think that the, uh, the death and co cocktail codex does a really good job of breaking down and kind of, giving you this like family oriented style of viewing drinks, um, which is what I died. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, and then obviously uh, if you want to geek out a little bit, like we said, liquid intelligence, Dave Arnold's book is a good way to go. I'm like in the middle of finishing up the Madame George menu. So I, I have like my stack of books there just kind yep. of like always cycling through, um, yeah, so I, I think there's some really good ones. Amy Stewart's Drunken Botanist, um, kind of breaking down specific flavors and where they come from and how to use them. I think that's a great way to go too.
1: Yeah, I, I've not done, yeah, the Codex uh, Drunken Botanist, Meehan's Bartender Manual, they're all phenomenal. Yeah, I, I think the whole piece on like breaking down something during service is, is pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Cause the goal, like when you're running a bar obviously is for consistency and you never want anyone to wait. So like, you have your ticket time standards, like we say no more than this minute, can this drink, you know, still be on service bar. Um, and it's cool to like, see someone that's seen it all, break it down for you. Like, this is how you want to build. And that's very much so how it's how I kind of like created my own method to the madness is like reading these books and kind of understanding, I like this, I'm going to take this and create my own way. And when we're doing our trainings, that's a big part of it. Like if you have a drink with four cocktails on it, and let's say they're all shaken, so therefore citrus, we're going to put all four tins out at the same time, and we're going to build in that method, we're going to do our lime, lime, and then our lemon lemon and kind of go in that way, and then go over to our syrups and start with your simple then go to your honey or your agave or you know so on down the line and just you want to do the whole build at once instead of build a drink wash your jiggers build a drink wash your jiggers you're just gonna take even longer that way
1: yeah yeah gosh i I, we could probably we could probably do this for a long while right here but uh, this has been this has been great marshall um anything that is top of mind you wanted to talk about we did not get to today and i'm sure there's countless sure we could do round two it wouldn't be a problem but but what anything you want to we didn't cover
0: uh i think just kind of like in general just the the way of how cocktails like we talked about the cocktail renaissance you know for 20 30 years going and i think it's excellent the way that every like kind of every restaurant you walk into now has a program and I love a bar when you walk in and there is no menu and there is no this, and it's just order what you want and they understand where they're at. And that's the hospitality that they're, that they want to provide. Um, But yeah, I think, I think just like with the Renaissance, I hope that people continue to learn from one another and not be so coy about what they're doing. Like the reason why we love these books is because it's an open book and that's who we learn from. And we can't have a Martini without a Martinez. And if no, that Martinez wasn't published, how would we ever have been able to get that build? Um, so it's kind of like, I, I, I hope that people just continue to write and continue to get out there and share their cocktail specs and share their ingredients and continue to inspire one another in the industry to, do the same.
1: I, uh, I, I come to this industry later in life from another one, but I would agree that in that one and in, in any industry, like, you know, mentorship and the ability to kind of like build community and not be so concerned about protecting, you know, it, it's great that you see specs just shared online all the time because, you know, like get, get it out there and like, let, and let's kind of let's, let's, let's learn from each other because yeah, based on your corner of the world or the ingredients you have, you know, and you know, seeing words like yuzu just thrown around so readily these days you know i mean it's just like it's it's wild to see uh things expanding the way they are it's just it's so fast it's incredible
0: yeah and i think um this is like my my out of the blue comparison but i uh i was listening to a podcast uh like tony hawk's podcast and mind you i've never skateboarded a day in my life like I think I probably stood on one and ate shit and that was probably it years ago um, but he was interviewing Rodney Mullen and they grew up together and Rodney Mullen's now is like this kind of just expanded mind right and he was talking about how he was at a convention uh, like a TED talk with a lot of IT guys and it's like the skateboarder who created tricks and skate street just chatting with these computer guys that have no idea really what he's talking about. And he was talking about tricks and he said he was breaking down how, you know, he, he did an Ollie and then from an Ollie grew the kickflip and from a kickflip grew hard flip or whatever, so on and so on and so on. And as he's saying this and each name is like, he knows who invented each trick, right? Just like how we could kind of list back and forth who invented cocktails. But he said he looked out in the crowd and he saw the eyes of these IT guys that are all so deep on uh, their own intellectual properties and not sharing anything because then someone could create what they're trying to do. Uh, he just like saw this kind of like blank, overcome feeling of like, oh, shit. <laughs> kind of like imagine if that's how we worked, what? How much technology could be shared, and how much information could be shared? Um, so I think that's kind of like an interesting way of viewing cocktails and viewing what we do in this industry, and just continuing the the education from one another.
1: Yeah, it's it's very important for people to be able to make a dignified living in all of these things. But agreed that when it's so zero sum of I win, you know, or or lose as opposed to kind of more this community based model, it is, it is fun. Uh, I was at a cocktail competition last night, actually. And yeah, to see like just the camaraderie in the room, it's just, yeah, it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. They're like this is, this is freaking, this is freaking great. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Um, what was the competition?
1: So uh, here in St. Louis uh, we have a, um, so there's a, a newer, uh, it's a great distiller here in town. Um, and he uh, was showcasing his newer gin. It's all Missouri botanicals. And, um, and so, yeah, uh, 12 bartenders, uh, had to lead with his gin and one bartender from a, a Japanese bar here in town actually made jello shots and people had to drink this, um, oolong tea first and then take in, uh, uh, oh, wow. and, so it was just, it, it was cool. There was a whole variety of builds, you know, and, um, yeah, it's just fun to see people with different perspectives, like, you know, just you know, 12 wholly different drinks and people handed like a bottle of gin and like, you figure it out. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's, 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 it was, it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. The possibilities are endless. And then it is cool to see them all come back in together and just not a single one is alike.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marshall, this has been great. Uh, thanks so much for for doing this today.
0: Thanks, Chris. This was fun.
1: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you liked the interview, the transcript and show notes are located at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself, Chris LeBeau. Subscribe to avoid missing an episode. And if you think this is good stuff, share it with a friend or review us on your listening platform. And check out our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential. Remember best way to get better at mixology is to practice. And the best way to do that is in the company of friends and family. Happy cocktailing, everybody.